Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 124 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today we're going to be talking about being a taste adventurer and all things expanding your child's diet. Yes. So all listeners, you guys too can become a taste adventure. <laughs> this may go beyond <laughs> eating for your child or expanding your household's uh, adventure-like mentality as far as new tastes and flavors. But uh, we've covered a lot of foundational information back in episode 88 on nourishing your toddler. We recorded that around Stella's second birthday. So I really went in on Stella's transition from completely exclusively breastfed to baby led weaning. We talked about on average, you know, how much protein, fat, and carbohydrates she gets on a daily basis and how very different that is from the American pediatric recommendations. Um, foreshadowing, it's higher. She eats higher protein and fat and lower carbs. <laughs> would you would you believe it? <laughs> and um, we also called out some crappy carbs that hide under the disguise of health food products. So it's a fun episode definitely to listen to. And that's episode 88, Nourishing Your Toddler as a, as a kind of foundation to what we're going to get on to expanding in today on being a taste adventurer for longer, I guess, uh, growth and development and really entry point at any age. Yes. And I know we also got into Stella's genetics and her supplement game, what you've been using for her. Um, so we get tons of questions on these topics all the time. So go over to that episode 88 for foundational information on nourishing your toddler. But now that Stella is two and a half, <laughs> and definitely starting to, I think, participate more in food choices and, and participate in the kitchen more. I know I see her baking all the time once a week and making yes. smoothies um, and going to school. So, you know, there's the whole school lunch stuff to deal with. Um, I think this episode is going to kind of expand on that foundation. Absolutely. And so, yes, as you mentioned, Instagram is probably one of the best ways to, I, I can't tell you how many people question me daily about like, so what do you do with Stella? Or, you know, does she get into food jags or how do, how does she eat salmon and, and like it? <laughs> and so I think that probably Instagram is the best as a daily snapshot. She's on my stories feed at least once a day. And I'm always snapping, you know, what her school lunch looks like or or the smoothies that I'm making and um, her dinners. And she loves to share and tell friends, hi, friends, this is what I'm eating. <laughs> so that's a great entry point for you to see more transparency on, on the daily of, of what she's consuming on a regular basis. Awesome. So today's concept on being a taste adventure, I want to talk more about expanding your child's yes food options and opening up their palate for increased diversity. And I think just to pick up where we left 
off in that episode, you covered transition to solids by signs of readiness. And we also hit on the benefits of exclusive breastfeeding through six months and then baby led weaning of introduction of solids. So let's just cover maybe the basics of this again as part of the diet journey. Yes. So I think it's really important. We talked a little bit in episode 88 about how now pediatricians are often recommending as early as four months to start to bring solids into your child's diet. And it's really important to consider first the influence of food on both your body, but when we're talking about child development, on the child's body on an immunological level, on a digestive and absorptive level, and then also on a self-regulation level. So like these are three integral components of how your body functions and how you experience optimal health, um, as well as metabolic and weight, uh, when we talk about this self-regulation component. And that's a really important part that I want all of you listeners to really hone in on. And, you know, it's, it's, it's removing ourselves from like that clean plate club and, and emphasizing completion at mealtimes to be quote unquote positive and not eating enough as a negative. Self-regulation is such a component of healthy, mindful, intuitive eating that will help your child throughout the stages of their life. So let's first start a little bit with immunological because I get a lot of questions on, you know, food sensitivities and allergies and such. So if possible, it's so important to get your child exclusive breastfeeding for at least the first six months of their life um, because breast milk does provide immunological protection and it actually does promote the sealing of the mucosal lining of the gut, which does not completely close until age two. So this is why I personally have made the decision that for my Stella, up until age two, and actually she's now two years and seven months, she has not actually, I, I take that back. <laughs> she has had the paleo um, chicken nuggets um, that are at uh, picnic and they do use rice flour. Um, so she has had rice flour. They're cooked in avocado oil, um, but she was completely tight 100% grain-free in all forms up until age two. And now grain still hasn't been produced, been introduced, excuse me, as a staple food. Like I said, it may be in like a, a breading or something like that. She still is 110% gluten-free and predominantly grain-free. Um, and a big part of this is that the gut lining doesn't truly seal until age two. So we want to think of dietary irritants, especially things like gluten, which influences zonulin, the gatekeeper of the barrier membrane to stay out of the diet so it doesn't distress the gut lining and create more of that leaky gut tendency, which can cause eczema, dermatological distress, upper respiratory and asthma distress, as well as just larger particles getting into the immune system and creating more inflammatory cascades. And that can also interfere with cognitive function and behavioral elements we know. So breastfeeding provides that sealant on the tank of the gut lining and also is going to provide us active probiotic, which is going to be really important to inoculate that microbiome. Okay. Awesome. So that's kind of the immunological piece of the puzzle. And yeah, no rice puffs or baby cereal um, right. anywhere in, in Stella's wheelhouse. Um, let's go on to, I know when you were introducing solids and even prior to 
true introduction, you were doing like the fruit nets with her and really working on ramping up digestive enzymes. So how um, does a slower introduction of solids aid in the digestive process for little ones? Yeah, that's such a great point. So uh, we did do, that's kind of the Montessori introduction mode of, of fruit first. And again, with her being exclusively breastfed, so she was on a high fat and uh, moderate protein approach with breast milk. Uh, but we provided her fruit nets so that she creates more digestive enzymes in the salivary production, a little bit more wide scope. Um, and we do know that with baby led weaning, that there's increased secretion when they're gumming foods. So, you know, the, the concept of chewing and and touching and and uh, experiencing food creates a secretion of our digestive enzymes, and that's going to ensure that we have more chemical compounds to break foods down. If we're force feeding with purees, spoon feeding the baby, and um, the baby isn't ready, they're not going to be p- producing as many of those enzymes. They may be getting larger particles than are desired, and they may be getting foods that their body doesn't like at that time. Um, so it is ideal to allow for that gumming and that tack play with food, it will um, increase digestive enzymes and it will reduce the um, inflammatory compounds, also allow the, the child to guide what their body is ready to take in. Um, I talked in that episode 88 about how Stella took about six weeks <laughs> to eat avocado, you know, like we kept introducing it and playing it and, and, you know, maybe she'd get like a teaspoon total consumed <laughs> and it took a long while for her to make that connection of, you know, hand to mouth with the pincer grip. And then also for her to actually enjoy and get the swallowing beyond the gagging. And then we started to bring in salmon and then grass fed burger and kind of let it rock and roll from there. So a sign of readiness um, is the next phase, which is honoring self-regulation. So in baby, we look for things like opening of the mouth, um, bobbing, um, crying can be a sign of hunger, of course. Um, And then fullness, when the lips are pursed, you'll see that all the times at like when moms are force feeding a baby a spoon, Uh the baby like purses their lips. That's them telling you like they're good. They don't need more (laughs) or turning their head away or spitting their food out, right? That's responsive. So we need to honor and listen to that and um, allow to see baby's cues. And as the child develops, we still want to honor this food freedom and allow the child to express their feedback on the food, working early on descriptive terms. So if you see your child making a face, um, you might determine that there's certain food words that are off, you know, off the list or aren't acceptable words. Like for us, we don't use the word yucky. Um, We may allow Stella to say, I I don't, if she'll say, I don't like that. We'll say, (laughs) well, what about, you know, what about that do you dislike? Is it too crunchy? Is it too soft? Is it too... And we use descriptive language and then we compare to other foods. So she's involved in the conversation and she knows that we're honoring her feedback. And then we'll talk to her about how it's a new food and maybe it's not what she expected, but now that she knows what it it feels like or tastes like or more experiential components, that maybe then her body might like it. And so it's a real kind of adventure process every time we bring a new food into the playing field. Awesome. And then I know her her buddy Daniel Tiger has like a song that you guys sing about yeah. <laughs> trying new foods, right? Are you gonna sing for, it? For forgive us? me. I am. Yeah, I know. I almost like was like, can I download it? I wonder if we'll get in trouble. 
But yes, Daniel Tiger, honestly, is I, I feel a really great uh, program. And it, you know, it's a play off of uh, Mr. Rogers and it's a cartoon. It also has a soundtrack. So we definitely have some of the songs on our phone. And a lot of them are really good about dealing with big feelings. Um, and uh, so one of them is, where they go to a garden and they experience like picking carrots and uh, red bell peppers and things like that. And it's, you got to try new foods because they might taste good. Good. Sorry, Brady. <laughs> He's editing it. He's going to be like, don't sing oh, again. <laughs> um, but yeah. And, and it's funny because Stella will walk around singing it. And um, sometimes when she makes that yuck face, you know, when we talk through it, we'll be, we'll say, oh, well, it's a new food. Maybe we got to try it again because it might taste good. Maybe your body's learning to like it. Um, and so learning to like it is this concept too about, you know, this being a process and it's an active component. And she's really starting to wrap her mind around understanding diversity and, and why it's important to try new foods. I love that. And I'll see if I can find that song on YouTube for <laughs> not that Allie's version wasn't amazing, um, but oh, I yeah. definitely heard y'all singing that. And, you know, compared to other friends, kiddos that I see on a regular basis, she's pretty darn adventurous anyway um, with food. So just kind of taking this approach, what are the foods that you're encouraging right now? And what are the priorities with her nutrition? So I think it's so important to, as most listeners know, get a high fat diet into your children because it's going to be so superior for cognitive function, hormone growth and development, and also to help their energy to stay very grounded. And it's also very important to get ample protein. Um, I think that we're all hardwired for sugar. And, you know, we know this in adults through children. And there's a lot of different concepts of why this might be. You know, there's, of course, the component of sugar and dessert-based foods being celebratory or reward-based. So they basically, to us, give us feedback that it's it's a positive association, right? There's, of course, even within that world of emotional ties to food, nostalgia. And then there's also survival elements like, you know, we know hunter-gatherer days that alkaline or bitter tastes were always associated with things that were potentially poisonous. And we know that, you know, breast milk is not sweet, but it is sweet-ish. It's definitely not sour um, and it's definitely not bitter. So for me, I feel it's an extremely important focus to really harness your child's palate towards savory and avoid within that world of savory any excitotoxins, which are like super flavors. So like, you know, the cheesy stuff (laughs) or the additives and especially any artificial flavors. This is going to set them up to make choices that are fat and protein dominant if they can channel savory and they're open to a more uh, mellow palette of diversity. Um, and it'll be that help them to be open to more bitter and pungent flavors, which tend to be the most rich in antioxidants. Like it's really funny because 
Brady's tolerance of a green smoothie and Stella's and I's are like a, a, a continuum, right? So Brady's like in like the like Homer Simpson donut eater. Not really. He's really good, but you know, whatever. He likes sweet. Um, and then there's me, like tight keto, doesn't do non-caloric sweeteners. So like to me, sweet is like a plain macadamia nut. And then there's Stella who eats fruit, um, you know, daily and eats starchy vegetables, but she can do a much more bitter green smoothie than when Brady makes it and he wants to add two dates and half a banana. You know, I can, <laughs> I can get her doing a green smoothie that she's involved in the making of the smoothie with me. And, um, you know, it can have five four to five leaves of collard green or lacinato kale. And it can have just a half cup total of a lower glycemic fruit and then full fat coconut milk, which gives, I feel that natural sweetness, um, you know, maybe even some chia seed and then some grass fed whey. And she's like stoked about it. Um, so it's all about adjusting that palate. And that's, what's nice when you're involved in the process, you can titrate down. And then you can also, if, if she tastes in, she says, oh, mama, that's too bitter. That's a word she knows now, which is great because then I can say, okay, maybe we need a little bit more coconut milk to make it creamy. Or maybe we need to add some cashew nut butter to make it creamy. Would you like to try that? And then, or maybe let's add half a date, you know? And so we get to then adjust it and and really discuss together the process. I love that. And that just allows her to own that process so much more. That's that's awesome. Um, yes. it sounds like Brady needs to step up his, his smoothie game a little bit. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, but yeah, so, you know, when we're going for foods in our household, a lot of our kind of like go-tos, uh, all, all, every time we sit down for a meal, I always drive with protein. And so she is uh, really diverse in her protein intake. Um, she pretty much eats all um, forms. Uh, she had shrimp two nights ago. She loves grass-fed beef, everything, whether it's steak cuts or burger cuts. Um, she loves salmon. She eats also halibut and snapper, any fish really that we offer. Um, she has had uh, scallop. Um, the one she hasn't done yet is lamb. And I think that's because personally in our household, we, we're not big fans of it, but we're doing lamb this week. So we'll see how it goes. But, but protein is, <laughs> well, lamb meatballs. So okay, kind yeah. of, yeah, yeah. yeah. it'll be cool. it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and so, yeah, you know, she's really focused and we will emphasize, like I, I use the word protein and I'll say, which do you want for your protein? And, and we'll get more into that, of course, um, later as we talk about kind of guiding and leading and roles as far as selection. But things you'll see commonly in our intake as far as snacks include like, um, especially if she's having just a tough day. Bacon and almond butter is like my favorite uh -huh. snack for her. Um, we always have leftover bacon because we, we bake our bacon by the sheet. Um, and so we'll do a whole pack. We'll always have a couple slices left in the fridge. So I might break up a slice or two of bacon and dollop a, a big uh, lump of almond butter with a spoon on a plate. And she just goes back and forth and bites on that. And that's like a very grounding reset. Um, I also have the Peterson's individual bacon slices in um, my backpack for her when we're like at a, you know, running errands and she's having a meltdown. I swear that there, I don't know if it's the choline in the bacon or what, or just that it tastes really good. But the, the profile of the high fat helps a lot, as do F-bombs. We're always um, going for F-bombs. And she has at least like four a week, if not more. Um, and those are great for like day tripping and just kind of holding over blood sugar. 
And then um, I try to prioritize cruciferous vegetables as a vegetable option. So we rotate between broccoli, asparagus, cauliflower, and I cook them in different fats like lard, ghee, olive oil, avocado oil. And then um, she gets a green smoothie probably at least twice a week. Um, And I really like that as a vehicle to bulk up other things. So I might add some collagen in there or some grass-fed whey protein from the Naturally Nourished Protein Powder. I might add in some vitamin C if she's a little constipated or having some immune stress. Um, So it's a really good vehicle to kind of max out on nutrient density. And then I'd say her other staple pretty much daily is, is berries. I love it. And I think it's so important to note that, you know, in the standard American diet, carbs are everywhere. And even for a kiddo like Stella, she gets marketed to, I know you guys don't typically shop at, you know, the grocery stores that are going to have a lot of character gummies and things like that, but right. they're at Costco. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. And, and, um, she saw at Whole Foods, uh, just on Saturday, I think they're like the Cliff Z bars, uh, Z bars or something like that. And she's like, look at that guy riding a skateboard, mama. (laughs) I'm like, okay. Like, you know, it's not Mickey, right? They don't, they don't have the capital. I don't think to buy Paw Patrol on their label or whatever, like some of the really garbage food does, but still it's like, it's still a kid product and it has a cool kid on it. And, um, I said, yeah, I said, but we don't eat those types of bars. We make mommy's bars. And she was like in the grocery store, like we make mommy's bars. So I was like, okay, (laughs) that's amazing. But it's true. Even the healthy quote unquote options, like gummies and, you know, healthier cereals, bars, those like sugary beverages, those are often like staples of little kids diets. And, right. you know, what does that set them up for? Right. Right. And you know, what I've realized is it's really only in the carb foods. Mm-hmm. I've yet to see a child marketed protein. I don't know if you totally. have. Like, no, no, you're right. It's right. Just the crappy carb, like quick grab stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. Right. Or a fat like, and now we're getting more, um, you know, nut butter packs and such like that, but none are marketed to kids. It's only the carbs. And, you know, we just continue to see, of course, research demonstrating that as we eat an excess of sugar, we create this increased tolerance for sweet, which will only perpetuate overconsumption. And that can be, of course, that's my dance against a non-caloric sweetener or a sweetened food, but sweet creates increased tolerance for sweet. And that does induce insulin resistance. It impairs glucose tolerance. It throws off our triglyceride levels. It increases weight. It increases our adipose tissue or our body fat storage. And it really drives early on metabolic syndrome. And I mean, we're seeing seven-year-olds being diagnosed with not type one, but type two, which used to be called adult onset diabetes. And that's because the fructose and the refined sugars that are just ubiquitous in any child marketed item. And they are having this rapid spike on the blood sugar. You know, these foods quickly dissolve into the bloodstream. It literally shocks the pancreas and it taxes the glucose insulin response. And that means that the body makes excess insulin that strips the insulin receptors. It drives body fat storage. And if the insulin does dock appropriately, the child goes to a crash of low blood sugar, right? And then that means that they're going to have a emotional outrage, like hanger, right? So it's, it can create behavioral and um, cognitive tax on the child as far as 
cognitive function for learning, but also behavioral elements and the way that they engage with others and the way that they're able to sit still and relax and feel grounded and at peace um, beyond the metabolic and the acidic environment and, and the negative other influences of excessive blood sugar levels. Sure. I remember when I was teaching preschool, like that post-lunch period was hell. Like, yes. Absolutely. Yes. Hell. They'd be good for like 20 minutes and then I'd have kids laying on the floor. I'd have kids jumping on the tables and it was like... Because they're crashing. They're exactly. coming down. Yeah. They need a fix. Yeah. They need a fix. Yeah. <laughs> and then beyond that, you know, um, in terms of food quality, I think when we're looking at high quality foods, you know, that leads to decreased quantity. So we're not munching on like this entire bag of goldfish. Maybe we're satisfied with a piece or two of bacon and some almond butter. Right. And, you know, if we're doing carbs with our children, which my stance um, as far as kiddos go, I do not recommend putting a child into a restricted diet of nutritional ketosis unless they're dealing with neurological or metabolic defects that require nutritional ketones to be therapeutic. Okay. So if we're talking about stages, and and this goes really even through growth and development and uh, teens, unless the child is also dealing with obesity to the level of a significantly elevated BMI where we need to bring in diet therapy as an intervention, right? Then I would recommend tight carb control for keto. Now, with that being said, I still, like, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, keep Stella in a very tight carb control. And she lives under what I would call a low glycemic diet that is still dominant in fat and moderate in protein and low in carbohydrates. But it's not free of carbohydrates. I don't restrict all forms of carbohydrates. It is free of processed products and is a whole food-based diet. And so I do allow qualitative carbs in her diet, like berries um, and other forms of fruit that are seasonal and then starchy vegetables. Um, we just recently made the the pumpkin pancakes, um, which are in the anti-anxiety diet cookbook and they use orange zest and they're beautiful. But even in the constructs of that pancake, right, there is pumpkin as the starch, but that recipe based on its macros is actually a keto-friendly recipe. So she may have had some raspberries on the side of that and then some bacon and she very well likely is on a daily basis going to be potentially making low levels of ketones based on her output and her energy, but I do not restrict her. I allow her to eat carbohydrate foods in balance with the proteins and the fats. Sure, exactly. So no naked carbs on your kid's plate. Um, Yes. Let's get to where grains fit or don't fit um, and what some of your favorite substitutes are. I know you mentioned the impact on gut lining, especially prior to age two. Yes. So, you know, once your child passes age two, that's kind of where I'm tight against grains. So I say with baby led weaning, you know, all kiddos should be more like paleo, right? And then that's really a household decision um, as far as what your family sees as cost to benefit ratio, what your personal tolerance is. Um, but once that gut junction is is officially closed, that epithelial lining of the gut around the two age um, mark, you might consider like sourdough um, or soaked and sprouted grains. Uh, I wouldn't recommend them as a daily staple, um, but some individuals might do well with these. And there is definitely nutrition, especially in like these uh, heirloom varietals of grains 
grains, like the einkorn products. Um, I'm personally a little bit, unfortunately, postpartum after I had Stella, I've had such a dynamic negative response to wheat that I haven't even been curious to tip my toe back into the world of grains. Um, but if I tolerated them, I, I don't think that it would be necessarily a hundred percent closed line on a carb cycling day to have a beautiful, like, um, you know, heirloom grown sprouted slice of something. I think that that's something that might fit definitely in a balanced diet. Um, but in our household, both because I personally have a lot of intolerance and and it feels like a scalpel is scraping my belly, <laughs> regardless of digestive enzymes. It's that's the cost of benefit that isn't worth it, right? Um, so in our household, we typically will do grain alternatives, and I just find that they tend to be more nutritionally dense, and that these serve as better staples to provide that grounded blood sugar response. So we may go for like a simple Mills cracker, which has almond flour and sunflower seed in it. Or if we're to do muffins, we're always going to use like a hazelnut flour, almond flour blend, um, and we'll add in collagen and there'll be eggs and fat in that. Um, and so this is just a way for us to get that toothy mouthfeel, if you will, of like the bread world while still staying really focused on nourishing as the optimal priority. But, you know, ultimately you have to do what works for you and your family and just observe the feedback. Um, for us, I think one of those foods that we do tolerate as a household and, and enjoy is dairy. So for us, if Stella isn't uh, showing mucus, like she doesn't have, you know, any mucus going on in the nose, um, and we've observed her with dairy on dairy, off dairy, and don't experience any behavioral shifts for her, and she definitely doesn't have any skin impact, we use like a grass-fed um, from our farmer's market, low-heat processed full-fat yogurt um, that she'll do as a breakfast in rotation probably like three days a week um, or maybe an after-school snack. Um, it's a great way for her to get great immunoglobulins, get the probiotics, of course. It's a tangy, sour mouthfeel um, and texture and um, taste. So it's one that works really favorable for our household. And that might be something that is a fringe food that you and your household see, oh, when we do dairy, these things backslide. So that's not a fit. And that's something to just kind of weigh out. Yeah. So ultimately it's, you know, flexibility is important, but looking for that feedback of your child's body and behavior and, you know, their tastes, quite frankly, I've seen Stella push away grain-free pancakes, you know, to go yeah. for bacon. So it's letting yep. them kind of guide that process. Um, but the one thing you're not negotiating on is is the naked carbs. And then beyond that, I would say if you are going to be doing um, things like grains, and I'm sure we'll get more into gut lining support, but let's have a word from our sponsor, Bonafide Provisions, because I think bone broth is a great tool if you are going to be exposing the kiddo to grains or yes. um, even if not, just to protect their gut lining. Their integrity, their gut, absolutely. Yeah. So we're super stoked to have Bonafide Provisions as today's podcast sponsor. Uh, Bonafide Provisions makes true bone broth. And what that means is that it gels. Um, and so you'll see this sold in the freezer section of your grocery store. And as you're working with it, that gelatinous bag of broth, once thawed, is going to show you that it does have gelatin and collagen, which are two of the most therapeutic components of bone broth and why we highly recommend it. The other really cool thing about Bonafide Provisions is that it is certified organic. Every single ingredient 
that makes up each beautiful bag is certified organic and they only use grass-fed and pasture-raised bones. And then their product is actually frozen fresh. So there's no preservatives, no pasteurization going on. And it's available both online and in almost every natural grocery store and even coming to other conventional stores like Walmart, Publix, and Kroger. So they're getting out there in the world, which is really exciting. Yes. So you can go over to Bonafide Provisions. That's www.bonafide.com. B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E provisions.com forward slash Allie Miller RD or use the code Allie Miller RD at checkout and you will get 20% off your first online order. So even if you can get it locally, definitely jump online, order it online so that you get it shipped frozen and you can have some in your freezer for times of need to take advantage of that discount and you'll use the code Allie Miller RD. Yes. And I love their little slogan. The wellness is in the gelness. You'll see the difference like that. It actually passes that jiggle test versus some of the other conventional products that are sold shelf stable and really don't have a lot of benefit. Absolutely. And I think that's the biggest thing to emphasize. When shelf stable, even if it doesn't have an added listed preservative, it's been exposed to high heat processing. And so, you know, you don't want to eat anything that can be viable for two years on the shelf. Um, (laughs) You want to eat something that actually has an expiration date and is viable. Um, And so that's one of the best things is that they include only whole bones and they actually do a very slow simmering process 18 to 48 hours to ensure that each batch created contains the maximum amount of collagen, gelatin, and nutrient density. So again, go over to bonafideprovisions.com, use the code AllieMillerRD, and um, it's a great thing, absolutely, that you can incorporate into soups, purees, and to use um, as an option to deglaze your pan when you're just sauteing vegetables or to use the yummy browning in your pan if you've seared up uh, protein. Okay. So speaking of bone broth, I know we talked about this for Stella back when we did that immune episode recently. Um, Where does she stand on bone broth now? Because I know at that point she wasn't really digging like sipping on bone broth per se. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so interesting on that. She has a little bit of, I will say, and, and this is something maybe in hindsight, 2020, as I'm talking about development and feeding a little bit of delayed function with, um, her spoon, um, because she's like so primal of a baby led wiener that like everything's like hand to mouth, you know? Um, and so we're encouraging use of fork and she does pretty well with fork. Um, like something like avocado, for instance, more difficult to eat with a fork than a burger bite or salmon or egg, which doesn't slide off. So she's now working like the stab and the swipe, you know, to like, you can't just, cause if you stab avocado, it just falls right back off. Right. And so like, that's a whole technique that, that, that wrist twist thing that we're working on. And so that's, what's been fun with yogurt, um, as a newer food for her recently is that, that's like the spoon to mouth and we just kind of take our shirt off right away and we just know like let's just do this <laughs> just get it everywhere and have fun with this and this is like a, a actual 
developmental skill. Um, and so with broth, she has not mastered eating any soup with a spoon because she's still working on something like a thickened liquid, sure. like yogurt, yeah, yeah. really. Um, but we have treated soups almost like a smoothie um, where we've brought it down to more of like a room temperature. She does really well with the carrot bisque soup, um, which has orange zest and ginger and coconut milk. I think because it kind of tastes like a smoothie, honestly. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's super dreamy. Um, and it uses uh, chicken bone broth in there. And that she does really well with. And then she does really well with um, bone broth cooked into things. Um, and I'm starting to just get her to now spoon sip if I'm holding the spoon um, when I'm drinking a mug of broth once it's come down to temperature. But I think that that's going to definitely be in our kind of goals these next three months as she's working on development. Got it. Yes. And I know you do a lot of um, gelatin gummies and, and you're adding collagen yes. to her smoothies all the time to support she does that line. Really well. Yeah. Really well with jello. Um, again, because that's like easier to fork, twist, or like grab bites for the gummies for sure. Awesome. And then getting back real quick to carb control or no naked carbs, let's dig into that a little bit more and talk about a couple of her other favorite products, especially the stuff that you guys use on the go. Yeah. So, you know, when you're nourishing your child, lead with protein and fat again, because carbs will always, always, always find them. So the cool thing about leading with protein and fat is you're not going to have a blood sugar spike and drop when you eat those foods. When you have carbs, you're always going to have a blood sugar spike. And depending on how refined the carbohydrate choice was, and if it was eaten on its own or in balance, it'll have a more dynamic spike and then hence a more dynamic crash. So this idea of no naked carbs means that anytime for Stella's definition of carbs, we're talking about fruits or starchy vegetables. So anytime she has either of those foods, they're always paired with a protein or a fat. So like this morning before school, um, we cut up like five strawberries. We did a third of an avocado in pieces and that's her first plate as I cooked her an egg in ghee and that was her breakfast, right? So as she's eating the strawberries, we're encouraging her to eat pieces of the avocado and then she still got that protein and fat and, and that was what her breakfast meal looked like. Um, we, if we're doing an apple, we are always providing nut butter on a spoon. Um, so adding avocado, nut butter, and then other protein and fat options that work well are like, um, pork rinds. We send those in her school with her snacks. So we make her like a really simple trail mix almost, if you will, um, where we will cut up a little bit of like dried mango or apricot with pork rinds. Um, and she likes that a lot. So that works really well. And do that. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And if it's a nut free school, that's a really good delivery. And then again, now on the go, I don't have to worry about fitting that carb in. So she can do something like a chomps, um, grass fed beef stick or the F bomb packs or the pork rinds on their own. And they work really well to satiate, um, without providing that blood sugar spike and crash. Awesome. And then that, get, that gets us back to, you know, expanding your child's taste buds to eat more nutrient dense foods. So let's go back into techniques using that term being a taste adventure, I know is, is a big technique for you guys. Um, let's talk beyond Daniel Tiger and his little song, <laughs> how this philosophy actually works. 
Do you want to sing it? No? Oh, okay. I don't, I don't know if I even remember <laughs> four words and I don't remember it. You guys it's can okay. tell I don't have kids yet. <laughs> it haunts me. I wake up in the middle of the night thinking Daniel Tiger songs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, when we talk about being a taste adventurer, both in my household and then in clinic when I'm working with mamas and, and fathers uh, with their child, it's making a new food a thing. Like it's, it's, it's like the event, right? Um, so <laughs> we explore it. If you're going to be a taste adventurer, how can you make this process of introducing a new food an activity. So let's define the color of it. Let's talk about the feel of it. Is it soft? Is it firm? Is it squishy? Uh, let's smell it from the outside. Let's cut it and smell it. Um, let's maybe taste it raw and then um, let's put it together into a dish or talk about how I'm going to prepare it. And then we're going to try it in its prepared form. And once we get to the prepared form, we really focus on trying it 10 times. And Stella now can count, you know, 30 plus. So we, we literally do. We, we tally and kind of count the 10 times before confirming that it's, it's not for me. And um, Stella's newest phrase is, Probably not. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, it's not just a no. Maybe it's, it's a sassy. It's so sassy, but yeah, like it's pretty much like, hmm, probably not, Mama. <laughs> and yeah, she'll say it all the time. I'll be like, don't you want to talk to to you know Grandma and Grandpa? Hmm, probably not. Right oh my now. gosh, I hope she doesn't say that for us. I know. <laughs> um, actually, we were reading Stella Luna last night, and we were naming the bats in the bat family, and it was Mama, Papa. Becky, Byrie, Stella. (laughs) So you guys got to be in the bat tribe. Um, So you're you're in, man. Um, So yeah, you know, but it's really important. So like if it's a bell pepper, right? Um, One thing, and I'll link this on my Amazon store in my kids' essentials, uh, we purchased for her second birthday... And then for Christmas, she got an apron. Um, but for her second birthday, we got these plastic knives that are um, safety knives. And so just her teaching her to be able to hold that and like letting her slice a fresh pepper piece herself is a really cool process. And talking about how, oh, look how the knife has red on it from the pepper. Those are the juices. And, and I use real words. Like I talk about antioxidants and things because – we need to give them the credit that they are just these sponges of, of learning and we're empowering them with the why behind the what. Um, and so, you know, if we're cutting broccoli or cauliflower, she might taste it raw and, and I'll say, that's pretty crunchy. It's it's very dense in fiber when we when we have it raw. And, you know, I'll say mommy prefers it cooked. Um, and, you know, and we kind of talk about the difference there. And, and then as she's tasting it, we talk about the experience of the taste process and and it's a really awesome way because she'll even turn on the oven light while it's cooking and like, Ooh, what's happening to our peppers, mama? You know, and it's like, it's, it's a process. And then we talk about how they've changed with the cooking process, both flavor wise and appearance and texture. Um, and, and it's an event. It's a really cool thing. Awesome. And you're totally setting her up with the vocabulary, either to be a functional medicine practitioner or an amazing chef. I don't know which. I, I'll choose, I would but. be good with either. <laughs> yes. Awesome. And then, uh, you know, pending age and um, if a kiddo is getting into a food rut, what are some tricks and other techniques? Um, I know you guys did a sticker chart with 
potty training. Have you ever done that with food? We haven't done it with food. And you know what's interesting? Um, sometimes I, I was thinking back about today's episode and we did a sticker chart with potty training back in September. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that follow me on Instagram or were at that time know that I almost had like one of my biggest emotional breakdowns and um, where Stella was like crying and saying, mommy's mean. Oh. Um, so like clearly she wasn't ready. And now she's like a hundred on potty training. And in January, she pulled her diaper off and was like, Stella doesn't wear diapers anymore. And so it's really interesting how sometimes a child, you need to honor their development stage and let them come in at it on their own because we have needed, we have needed to use some motivation for sure for going poop. I think that that's definitely a more emotional trying thing of that, like pushing and releasing and whatnot. But we haven't had to use a sticker chart. Um, we haven't had to use these like motivational, like purchasing things and and these type of pieces. And so I think that with foods, she's in the positive swing of this being exploratory. And I think we're just kind of riding the waves in that sense. But I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the sticker chart in the sense of if they are needing an external motivator, all people do well with like accountability measurements and tracking progress. And so that may keep them excited of, okay, that was your seventh try. We have three more tries to go. And then the next time you serve that food, talking about if it's different this time. Um, And you can play with the different seasonings that you use in your techniques as well. Awesome. So yes, Stella's not not a sticker chart. She's not motivated by that for foods at least. Uh, No, no. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, when you make your own food choices, it's kind of based on the known value of the household and, and you seem to instill it in a way that's like, you know, a focal point for the household, obviously. So that's likely making you more successful in this. Um, now mentioning food ruts, um, let's talk about what you can do when your child is like chicken nugget only or grilled cheese or, you know, gluten-free frozen waffles. How do we break them out of that type of a rut? Yeah. So, and and I think that's so true. I mean, food is such a central component of our household and that has to do so much with my brand and my business and everything. And I know that that can't be the same reality for everyone. So that would come from a state of ignorance if, you know, if you all, that's the whole idea, right? We can't like Instagram compare or whatnot. But with that being said, talking about the process, involving your child in the cooking process and empowering them with the what and the why I think is a very big, important piece of the puzzle. And if we're talking about a food rut, you just don't allow that to happen. And you do that by mandating rotation. So even if it's a health supporting food, like once once Stella hits her third night in a row of salmon, we shift it up and we don't give salmon as an option. Um, is salmon a completely health supporting, you know, omega-3 rich, astraxanthin, you know, those pink pigment antioxidants, great protein choice, great fatty acid structure? Awesome. Yes. But I want her to get nutrient variety, a deep complex web of nutritional density. And I also want to teach her palate to be flexible, you know, so it's really important that we create that vi- that variety within the structure by stopping and, and putting our foot in the mud and not allowing that option and then not acting as a short order cook. So you may make a simplified version, like for instance, if we're doing carnitas, 
You know, I know that my carnitas are a little bit spicy and that goes in the slow cooker. Um, I will add like hatch chilies or something like that, right? So I may pull a cup of carnitas once they're cooked and I may rinse that in warm water and then reheat that in bone broth for Stella. And that's okay to me. I don't think that's a short order cook in the sense that I'm like making her a completely separate thing, but I'm honoring that her palate doesn't do that spicy and that, you know, that may be actually just dis- dis- disruptive to her digestive tract and not be favorable. So I'm modifying it to be more palate friendly for a child and actually enhancing the nutrient density by adding that fresh broth. Um, and you might do things like where if, if I made um, kimchi burgers, she actually does the caramelized onion in there and she does the fish sauce and all of that. And wow. she loves that kind of like savory umami palate. But you could also consider breaking off a chunk of the beef before you add in those flavors and just making patties with black pepper and salt. Um, so, you know, you can do that and that'll still keep your meal prep rocking and still keep the diversity and the synergy within the household. Right. So that makes it so much more sustainable for parents trying to feed a whole family a real food approach. You don't make a separate meal or like bust out the chicken nuggets for Yes. Yes. And then, you know, it all comes down to like guided options within that. So guided options, meaning again, if you're driving with fat and protein, you generally, unless it's a snack time, don't have to offer your child a fat at mealtimes because it'll be in the synergy of the meal, the cooking fats and such, right? But for protein, I always am asking Stella, Stella, what do you want for your protein tonight? Salmon or grass-fed burger? Um, or, or Stella, what would you like for your protein tonight? We have chicken thighs from last night or we have steak that we're making for dinner tonight. And I let her choose between likely what was the leftover entree or what I'm making that night. Um, and then for vegetables, we'll say, okay, and for your vegetable today, we have crunchy broccoli or we have cauliflower or we have roasted asparagus or whatever it is, but I give her two choices. Um, and that's really the best way to give them structured guided options so that they They have autonomy and ownership in the process. They know what to anticipate and expect. It's like they're ordering it and they're going to be more accepting to it. And you're not just open point blank saying, what do you want for dinner? And allowing them to go to those hardwired sugar cravings or convenience foods. Sure. I love that. And yeah, it sounds like consistency is really key. I know a lot of moms out there are worried their kid is just like not going to eat, but it may end up handicapping them down the line to just cater, um, you know, every single meal. Yeah. I mean, because nutrient density chances are, like I said, even with a food jag of a, of a nutrient dense food, like salmon, you're missing out then on the higher amounts of zinc and iron in the grass fed beef, right. Um, or the amandamide, which is a really cool fatty acid compound that helps to mellow out the mind. So it's like every food, generally speaking, as far as quality choices and whole foods are going to have a health redeeming property. So diversity is so important. And if it's a food that they deny, Um, So like each week we have a goal of trying a new food as she's, you know, at this two and a half mark. And if it's something that she denies, then we will give it, um, if if she's denied it a couple days that week, um, then we'll give it like a three to four week hiatus and then we'll bring it back into rotation and see how she does. Sure. I love that. And has she been pretty accepting overall of that? 
Yeah, I, th- I think in general, I'm trying to think of one that she like totally doesn't do. Tomatoes are tomato. still one. I was going to say tomato, I know. is it? <laughs> but she's doing now tomato paste. Like okay. now she will do marinaras and such. So um, yeah, but she hasn't done fresh tomatoes. And right now with it winter, I'm like, they don't taste good to me no. either, Stella. No. So <laughs> we're going to wait for the, summer's mar- the summer farmer's market cherry tomatoes to see how she does there, I think. Totally. I love it. Okay, so getting back to talking more about these behavioral elements and ownership of roles. Let's talk a little bit about um, Ellen Satter's division of responsibility, which is what I know you use clinically when you're talking to parents. Yes. So she's fantastic and has really done a lot of work on, you know, the child psychology element of eating, which, you know, point blank is not my repertoire. Um, So I I definitely defer to her as a a big guide here. Um, And so what I'm going to kind of read through is some pulled from her division of responsibility um, statements. And um, she states, this is her quote, it is fundamental to parents' jobs fundamental to parents' jobs is trusting children to determine how much and whether to eat from what parents provide. So it's fundamental to parents to trust children to determine how much and whether, okay, from what the parent provides. And when parents do their jobs with feeding, she says children do their jobs with eating. So it's the parents' feeding job to choose and prepare the food, to provide regular meals and snacks, to make eating times pleasant, which is important, you know, so you're not arguing, of course, with your spouse during this time. Mm-hmm. You're keeping energy mellow, but also it should be focal on eating. You should try to keep screen time um, away from the dining table. Um, step by step, the parents should show children by example how to behave at mealtime, right? So the way that we're eating with our forks, the way that we're conversing and making eye contact and setting our um, – our fork down to breathe between bites and things like that. Um, it's important for the parent to be considerate of the child's lack of food experience without catering to likes and dislikes. So you think of this as they're inexperienced in eating tomatoes, right? Versus like, oh, they don't like tomatoes and writing it off. Sure. And then it's important for the parent to not let the child have food or beverages except for water between meal and snack times. And to let their children grow up to get and grow bodies that are right for them. So it's a really, I love it. I think it's very beautiful. And and I would definitely emphasize that timing of, you know, not allowing our children to be grazers either, because I see that often as well, where again, it's like this concept of, oh, if they're cranky, they must be hungry. Like, let's just at their snack table, always keep these veggie straws or these crunchy things. And then that doesn't allow their body to do some of the physiological and anatomical processes that they need to do aside from the digestive processes because they're constantly demanding that digestive process. So you need to allow them space between eating times. And I think that that's really important as we talk about, you know, the tools of intermittent fasting and autophagy and immunological processes and cellular reset um, that during their growth and development and programming early on, it's important that they're not in a constant graze feed mode. So that would be a big thing I'd emphasize to listeners. Sure. And then what are the child eating jobs. Yeah. So then Alan Satter says the children's eating jobs are that the children will eat. They will eat the amount they need. They will learn to eat the food their parents eat. They will grow predictably 
and they will learn to behave well at mealtime. Um, and so I will say that it, by the parent choosing, you know, the what, right? And I, I even took it a step further and allow that autonomy of the child playing a role in the what, right? But I will plate for her before she can have more of her fruit. I will cue her and say, it looks like there's more protein on your plate or, you know, more fat to be eaten before we can have more strawberries, right? Or if she knows we got grapes at the grocery store and I've served her blueberries as that carb at that meal or sweet potatoes and she's asking for grapes, I will cue her to eat something on the plate, but I will not say you have to finish all the protein on your plate because she's cueing to me that she wants more food. And it's a specific cue of a type of food, which is sugar-based, right? And I'm cueing back to her you have foods to nourish your body. Let's have a couple more bites of this and that. And then I'll kind of slowly sprinkle in her requested food so that we have that that synergy and that that tends to work quite well. Awesome. And it probably gets her to eat more as she's like going for a great bite. She'll alternate with like the remaining protein and, and kind of finish out protein and fats. Exactly. So if I'm, I always kind of do trickle in carbs and I, that's a technique for sure. And then, you know, the, the last thing I'll say technique wise that I know a, a lot of parents and myself use is <laughs> I will use the, the marketing buy-in strategy of the, whatever she's into for the time of maybe playing with the types of bites that she takes. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, if it's like, um, you know, maybe not Daniel Tiger, maybe it's Paw Patrol or like trolls. Like this morning when she was eating her eggs, she just was like, especially morning meals when you're feeling a little rushed and you're like trying to get your kid to like eat a little faster <laughs> to get to school on time or whatnot. I'll be like, okay, how would Princess Poppy take a bite? Or <laughs> like, oh ooh, what would a King Gristle bite look like? And then she'll like do like a funny one. So sometimes I will cue her like take a bite of food. <laughs> but um, that's as far as we go. I won't make her finish all the bites on the plate, but I will cue her of what would a bite look like if this person took a bite? And so it's it's a more engaging, I guess, encouragement to eat. <laughs> sure. It's not like, here comes the airplane, open your mouth. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> a little passive, right? Yeah. Okay. But at the end of the day, mamas, we do what we, do what we can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so now that we're really understanding, I think, priorities of balance with eating, let's go through just a couple of example days of, Stella's intake and maybe a couple meals per day um, that are kid friendly that you guys use. Yeah. So I'm super stoked that the anti-anxiety diet cookbook, which will come out in fall, is going to have a section specific for kids. Um, And so I'm really putting a lot of content into there um, to provide that guidance for neurological behavioral concerns, as well as just optimized nutrition for your child to thrive. And so as I mentioned earlier, I don't do a keto approach with most children unless medically required. Um, But I do do a low glycemic approach. And so I call this like phase 1.5 or phase two of my guidelines of of what is type one being tight nutritional ketosis and carb restriction of like less than 30 grams. Phase 1.5 is a little bit more liberalized. And then phase two is more of that kind of low glycemic world. So um, I really feel that everything can be kid friendly. Um, And, you know, I know that when I go to a restaurant, 
We never order off of a kid's menu unless they have a grass-fed burger patty um, because most of the time a kid's menu is going to be crap, like mac and cheese and grilled cheese. Again, a lot of carbs and lower quality. Um, And then they always want to add on a damn beverage and some other stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That Stella won't have anyway. Um, But I did decide to make a section of the book kid-friendly as like, you know, good user-friendly replacements that are more, I guess, mainstream focal food. So we have like eggs and green cups. These work really well that can be done in um, muffin tins and then cut into pieces so they can still pick up with their fork. Um, because the anti-anxiety diet is is uh, dairy-free, the whole book, of course, is gluten-free yes, as well. But because it's dairy-free, I have a coconut yogurt parfait where I add collagen to it and berries. And that's a really great start to the morning. Um, we have a couple child-friendly smoothies and um, my almond butter banana pancakes, which we make like every other weekend. We do a pancake in our household um, pretty much once a week. And then, you know, most of them are keto-friendly and then some of them will be a little bit higher glycemic. It just kind of depends. Um, and then I also have a apple cinnamon breakfast patty, which is a really great one for kiddos that has little chunks of sauteed apple and cinnamon um, mixed with turkey and pork um, that they can do as like bites um, and that can be mixed with scrambled eggs, but it's a really good breakfast option and also for school lunches. Awesome. I love it. I would totally eat all of those things that you right? mentioned. <laughs> so those are all like breakfast or lunches. Yeah. And then we have her almond flour chicken tenders, uh, burger bites that we do with an MCT oil ketchup and avocado pieces on like a um, toothpick as like bites options. And then that's served with kale chips as a side. Um, her simple wild salmon, um, these really good turkey nuggets with macadamia nut ground into them. They're amazing. Nice. Yeah. Um, crispy broccoli bites, sweet potato roasted in coconut oil, um, her cinnamon protein nut butter balls, which we talked about in the immune episode where I mix probiotic and grass fed whey in there. And then I'm working right now on a strawberry nut bar, like a protein bar that kind of has like a like a pie filling with strawberries, dates, vanilla, um, and MCT oil. Um, and it's like a base of like pecan, cashew, coconut. Also, again, yes, for adults and kids. <laughs> yeah, I would totally eat and make all of those things. And I don't have kids. I can't wait to test and, and get my hands on some of those recipes. And we'll be posting some of them that are not in the anti-anxiety diet cookbook. I know we've already got a version of the almond flour chicken tenders on the yes. blog that I'll make sure I link to um, yes. for you guys to at least get started in all this journey. But all of that sounds so, so good. Yes. So um, let's just do maybe a real quick rapid fire. I think I've listed like all of these things, but I'm just going to like rattle them off at the end for you guys to make some aha moments and we'll wrap up today's episode. So If you're looking to get quick delivery fat, F-bomb nut butter packs, avocado slices. I just found out about frozen avocado and freeze-dried avocado. I've yet to try it, but they're in my like thing to explore. So that's interesting to me for one of those like on-the-go trail mixes. And then full-fat coconut milk is our go-to fat in smoothie delivery if I feel like she needs a boost. Um, For proteins, obviously just stay diverse in your choices. Um, Good on-the-go options are like grass-fed meat sticks and pork rinds. We'll put links in our all of our affiliate links for discount codes and all of the things. And then green in the form of green smoothies or kale chips are a great way to get in the greens and then aim for at least always one other vegetable daily. And as long as you're hitting that and you got protein and fat at all meals, you should be pretty rock and roll with nourishing your child. 
Awesome. And you make it sound so simple. I'm sure it's not. And there's a lot of thought (laughs) that has gone into your process. Um, But I think we covered a lot of ground today and gave listeners some really helpful guidance and goals and ways to navigate barriers with their little ones, as well as hopefully some inspiration if you're dealing with a food rut or a food jag. If you guys love what we're putting out there, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review along with a couple of sentences of why you love the podcast so we can continue to share this information with everybody. Yes. And you guys have been so awesome at doing that. I think we have passed over like 200 and something reviews. So for those of you that have done that, but have not yet reviewed the anti-anxiety diet on Amazon, that would be so, so, so helpful to ensure that more uh, retailers pick up the anti-anxiety diet cookbook and we can get this awesome resource into all of the mamas and papas and households um, across the country and internationally. Um, So if you can head over to Amazon and leave a quick five-star review in a sentence or two about the anti-anxiety diet book, that would be super helpful as well. So I hope you guys all come into this remembering that this is a journey. We are all at different starting points and we are all unique. So hopefully there's a couple nuggets of information that you can apply into your household and think of today's episode as a way to inspire by no means shame. This is just a way to focus and continue to grow our food as medicine relationship and focus on optimal nourishment in our households. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.